folks. Welcome to this hour on American Family Radio. Ray Pritchard here, coming to you from Shawnee, Kansas, through the great miracle of technology from Shawnee to Tupelo to the internet to uh, your home, your car, wherever you are. Thank you for joining us for this hour. Uh, I am sitting in for our friend Dan Celia. Normally, this is the second hour of financial issues on AFR, but as we have been saying for a number of weeks, Dan has been fighting a tough case of COVID pneumonia and uh, not yet completely recovered. And I want to ask you, please, to say a prayer for our friend Dan Celia, that the Lord would heal him, raise him up. And uh, during this encouragement process for he and his wife and the whole family, give them a great deal of encouragement. You know, sometimes that's the hardest part of the healing process is it doesn't happen quite as fast as we wish it would. So our thoughts and prayers are with Dan. And I should say, this is the spot for the second hour of financial issues But I am not here to give any financial advice whatsoever. I was thinking during the break, Dan is so good at that. No one has ever come to me, or hardly ever, in my whole life and said, Ray, would you give me some financial advice? If I did, I probably might lead you in the wrong direction. So that's not what this hour is all about. I got up this morning and was thinking about the situation in the world Our hearts are heavy about what is going on in Ukraine. The Russian invasion continues, and there's so many stories coming out from there. And I don't wish to give even the slightest bit of news analysis of that, but just to say that when there is trouble like that in the world, either we move toward God or we move away from him. And as Christians, as those who believe in the sovereignty of God, we ought to move toward God. Psalm 40. Six says that we will not be afraid because God is our refuge and he is our strength. He's our very present help in the time of trouble. So when we read about the tanks rolling and uh, all this stuff is happening over there, uh, Marlene and I, my wife and I have been to Ukraine twice. Wonderful, sweet people over there. Great, great Christians in the country of Ukraine. I'm praying for them, praying for their safety. Half a million refugees so far and maybe maybe a couple million more before this whole thing is over, and who knows when it's going to end. I just think we ought to be going to prayer because our God sits on the throne in heaven. He surveys the whole earth, the people of the earth, even the great rulers of the earth. They're like grasshoppers to him. He sees the movement of men and nations, and it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. At the very end of the program yesterday, uh, I gave a quote about God's sovereignty. And I said something like this. What does God's sovereignty mean? It means God knows what he's doing and he is doing it. It's that last half that's really important. I think all Christians understand. I mean, we believe in the omnipotence of God, in the omniscience of God. We believe that God is all powerful and that he is all wise. So we believe God knows what he's doing. But in the moment of confusion, and doubt and despair, and uh, we were just just so much uncertainty in the world today and beyond the headlines, the uh, just the difficulties of life. It's good to remind ourselves that even in the darkness, even in the confusion of life, good to say to ourselves, God knows what he is doing, and he is doing it. Or maybe I should say it this way, God knows what he's doing even when I don't have a clue 
And the God of the Bible whom we worship, even when I cannot see clearly, I believe, we believe, God is accomplishing his will and he's working out his purposes on the earth. And and when we think about all these problems, the difficulties of life, the, 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 the sufferings and the struggles and the trials of life, we have a question, don't we? Why is life so hard? Why is life so hard? That's a question I want to deal with during our time together uh, this morning. Why is life so hard? So I begin not with a Bible verse, but with a story. The call came about 1030 late in the evening. It was a Saturday night. I was at home. I was getting my sermon ready for Sunday morning, and the call came. The voice on the other end was a woman I did not know. She did not attend the church that I pastored. I'd never met her or anybody from her family, but she knew somebody from our congregation, and in the moment of crisis, she called. There had been a sudden death in the family, and would I come over? And I said, of course I would. I didn't know her. I didn't know the family. I didn't even know the address. She had to give it to me, and I had to figure out how to get there. And I remember as I was putting my clothes on, you know, sort of getting dressed up properly to go make a late-night visit, I thought to myself that night, as I have often thought, nothing in seminary prepares you for the Saturday night phone call. Nothing in Greek class, nothing in Hebrew class, nothing in world missions class, nothing in homiletics, nothing at all really prepares you for that moment. And I realized I I didn't know what I was about to get into. I got to the home, and I walked inside, and there were friends and family members gathered around. A young man in his 20s, I think, had died suddenly of a drug overdose. And the people in the family were milling about. Some were saying this and some were saying that, and and no one seemed to know what to do. And I, not really knowing anybody and not knowing the young man who had passed away, I tried to offer whatever condolence or encouragement that I could. At length, the woman who had called me pulled me aside. Turns out she was the mother, and she asked me the question that I had known was coming. Why? Why? Did this happen? Why is my son dead? Why did it happen to him? Why did it happen now? It was not the first time that I did not have an adequate answer to that question, and it would turn out it would be far from the last time that I could not clearly answer the question, because it is, I think, the key question of life. Oh, Lord. Why me? Why now? Why this? Of all the questions that that, that tear apart the mind and heart of man, of all the things that cause us to struggle and wonder, we all wrestle with it, don't we? We stand by by the bedside of a loved one who is suffering, and we say, why? And we see a marriage that has come apart, and we say, why? A friend has betrayed us, and we say why. And suddenly we have lost our life investment, and we say why. Suddenly a loved one has gone from us, died, 
and we say, why, suddenly someone we thought we knew so well has turned away from the Lord. Lord, why did this happen? It's a question that the people of God have been wrestling with since the beginning of time. It's a question that rings across the centuries. And you know what? If you, if you just take the Bible and you try to find an answer to the why questions of life, here's what you're going to discover. It's not that the Bible doesn't answer that question. It's that the Bible gives us many different answers to the question of why does suffering, why do, heart, why do bad things happen, why has the earth ended up the way it is? You read Genesis and the fall of man, and you get one kind of answer. You read the book of Job and the, the, the sufferings of a good man, and you get another kind of answer. And you read David and crying out in the psalms of lament, and you get yet another kind of answer. And read Ecclesiastes thinking about the riddles of life, and yet another kind of answer. And you read the prophets, the Old Testament, and calling the people to repentance, and yet another kind of answer. And Habakkuk, I mean, that's a great book right there, the book of Habakkuk. You get yet a different kind of answer. Then you come into the New Testament, and you read about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, you come to Still another kind of answer. Jesus has come with his healing power. You read the book of Acts, and, and, and you get yet another kind of answer in, in the epistles, and another kind, and go all the way to the end of the New Testament to the great book of Revelation. Jesus wins. You know, we talked about that yesterday, Revelation 6, and the opening of the seven-sealed books, and all the troubles that are going to come on the earth and during the tribulation period, and Jesus wins in the end, and you get this climactic, wonderful answer in the book of Revelation. And when I say it the way I do, I'm not implying that Genesis conflicts with Job, conflicts with Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Habakkuk and the prophets and the life of Christ and the epistles, much less that anything in the Bible contradicts the book of Revelation. No, I'm just saying that the question of human suffering and hardship and difficulties, the stuff that keeps us awake at night, uh, the stuff that we wonder about through our tears, that the ache in the heart, that this is that these questions are so difficult. It's not just that it's not that there's no answer, it's that the Bible offers us many different sorts of answers because there are many different trials and troubles. I want in this hour to take a look at one answer that's hidden away in an unexpected place, tucked away in a corner of the New Testament that we may not look at very often, the second book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in those early verses there, there is an answer. And understand, it's not the only answer in the Bible, but it's an important perspective about why hard times and difficult times come. You see, when we go through, when we go through these things, when we go through the sufferings of life, and I think maybe even more offering, often when it's someone we know and love, we often tend to blame ourselves. We we look at our misdeeds, and there are plenty. We think about our hidden sins, and we've all got those. We think about our wrong attitudes, and we think about, as the as the uh, great prayer says, we Lord, we have done those things we ought not to have done, and we've left undone the things we ought to have done. And the list on both sides of the ledger is, is mighty long. It's easy to look in the mirror and condemn ourselves or even start thinking, you know, the reason my loved one got cancer is because I did something wrong or I deserve this. Um, and you know, that sort of thinking, that sort of thinking, if you go too far with it, can leave us very, very frustrated. Well, Second Corinthians chapter 1, these early verses, here comes an answer that's a little bit different, but it's an important one for us to hear today. 
God comforts us in our afflictions so that we will then turn around and comfort others. This explains so much of what happens to us. God allows these difficult times to come so that through the difficult times we'll turn to him so that we'll discover comfort we didn't know. We'll discover things about God we didn't know. And through our pain and through our tears and through our sadness, God is using that to equip us to minister to other people. Said another way, the real issue of life is not what happens to us, but it's how we respond. Let me say that again. The real issue of life is not what happens to us, because so much that happens to us we don't have any control over. It's not what happens to us. It's how we do respond. So years ago, oh my gracious, almost 30 years ago, when uh, my wife and I were living in a suburb of the city of Chicago, I'd often go down to to Chicago, to the to the studios of WNBI, uh, home of radio home for Moody Bible Institute and Moody Broadcasting Network. And my friend back then, Jim Warren, was the host of Primetime America on the Moody Broadcasting Network. And there's their afternoon drive time program. And one day I went down to see him. He said, Ray, come and be on the program. I said, sure. And I went to meet with him early. And he said, hey, I got something to tell you. I said, what, did it, what is it? He said, I heard this today at lunch, and it's really, really good. He said, Ray, when hard times come, be a student, not a victim. When hard times come, be a student, not a victim. You ever had one of those moments when the light goes on and the bells start ringing and you realize you have heard something, it's a message from God that you needed to hear. I had never heard it before that day. When Jim Warren said to me, Ray, be a student, not a victim, I realized it was a message from God I needed to hear. Well, folks, we're going to come up to a break now, so I want you to stay tuned through the break. And on the other side, I'm going to break down that statement, be a student, not a victim. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. There's more to come here on American Family Radio. following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy to manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. 
God can use persecution to strengthen the church and individuals within it. Persecution is granted to us. Don't miss this. What an honor to be chosen to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to die like the thief beside him, so that men enslaved to sin can see the gospel written in our flesh and believe. Gain more perspective on persecution with Jordan Shambly's article, The Victorious Persecuted Church, in the Fall 21 issue of Engage Magazine, or visit EngageMagazine.net. So Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net. Welcome back to our program. Ray Pritchard here sitting in for Dan Celia. Ask you to continue to pray for Dan as he makes his recovery journey from this tough case of COVID and pneumonia. Glad you're with us. This morning, we're talking about a question that is, boy, it's the, it is the question of life. Why is life so hard? Why is it so difficult? How come it isn't easier than it is? It's a question we've all wrestled with from time to time. Why me? Why now? Why this? Well, I think the first step is what I gave you just before the break, my friend Jim Warren told me many years ago, Ray, remember, when hard times come, be a student, not a victim. Now, what does that mean? Let me break that down for you. A victim says, why did this happen to me? A student says, what can I learn from this? A victim blames other people for his problems. A student asks, how much of this did I bring on myself? A victim looks at everyone else and says, life isn't fair. A student looks at life and says, what happened to me could have happened to anyone. A victim believes his hard times have come because God is trying to punish him. A student understands that God allows hard times in order to help him grow. A victim would rather complain than find a solution. A student has no time to complain because he's busy making the best of his situation. A victim believes the deck of life has been stacked against him. A student believes that God is able to reshuffle the cards anytime he wants to. A victim feels so sorry for himself that he has no time for others. A student focuses on helping others so that he has no time to feel sorry for himself. And finally, here's the last one. A victim begs God to remove the problems of life so that he might be happy. A student has learned through the problems of life that God alone is the source of all true happiness. That's the real meaning of the statement. When hard times come, be a student, not a victim. Now, I know I went through that fairly fast. And if you'd like to have a copy of that, there's a real easy way you can do it. Just go go to your phone, get on the internet, and go to Google or whatever search engine you use and type in my name, Ray Pritchard, and just type in, be a student, not a victim. I did that a few minutes ago, and 
guess what? That's the very first thing that pops up on the Google search. Rape Richard and be a student, not a victim. And that whole list I just gave you will come up in the Google search and you can have it and maybe post it somewhere because it's a really good encouragement. When hard times come, be a student, not a victim. And the reason that's so important is because we all understand most of the stuff that happens to us are things we just can't control. We don't control what people say and what they do. We don't control the, the circumstances of life. I mean, stuff happens to us every single day we didn't expect. In that sense, we are all victims of unexpected circumstances. And I know sometimes it's good news. It's, it's a good phone call. It's a, it's a happy surprise. It's the boss coming in and saying, hey, we're going to give you a promotion and a raise. It's, it's your kids doing so well in school. It's uh, somebody you've been praying for coming to Christ. I mean, unexpected circumstances, sometimes, maybe even often, they turn out well. But often, it's on the other side of the ledger. And unfortunately, some people, in responding to the difficulties of life, they never rise above the victim mode. It does not have to be that way. We choose the way we respond to the things that happen to us. You see, by the grace of God, we can decide to be students and not victims as we face the trials of life. This really is the true Christian position. And to say be a student and not a victim and understand that God is working uh, he's working out his purpose. Really, this is what Christians have always said. To say that is to say nothing more than what we believe from Romans eight twenty eight. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I think that the most important part there is that we know, not we think, not we hope, not, not, well, maybe, yes, maybe, no. We've come to a solid conviction that God knows what he's doing it. And even when we don't see it, he is doing it. So we're looking at these first few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, four positive benefits. And I'm going to, we could say trials, we could say suffering. Let me just use an old word, affliction, an old word. Four positive benefits of the afflictions of life. Number one, Paul says, they draw us closer to God. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look what he calls him here. He calls him the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Paul begins where we must begin. He begins with the truth of who God is. And he calls him the father of compassion. And I got to confess, I never understood this until my wife and I began to have children. We raised three boys. And when our first son, our oldest son, Josh, when he was just a little boy, I mean, no, really little, like, a, you know, nine months old or a year old, Josh, uh, it was difficult to put him to sleep at night. He wanted to cry, and he wanted to fuss, and uh, we were new parents. We really didn't know what to do about it, and uh, you know, we do what, what young couples would do. Marlene would take a turn, and then I would take a turn, but she had the, you know, the, the, the heaviest part of dealing with him during the day, and so many times in the evening, especially when, say, Marlene had put Josh down, and then he'd just keep on crying and keep on crying, 
um, I would go to the crib and I would pick up my son and I would just hold him to my shoulder with his sort of head on my shoulder and I would walk from room to room to room and I would make up songs and I'd sing nursery rhymes to him and I'd sing Bible verses to him. And there was one song I sang that went like this. Good little boys, don't cry, cry, cry. Good little boys, don't cry, cry, cry. Good little boys, don't cry, cry, cry. Because it makes their daddy mad. Now, you're never going to hear that song in a, in a nursery rhyme book. And it, it's sort of funny to me thinking about it 40 years later. But I would sing that to him, and I am no great singer, as you can tell, but I would sing that to Josh, good little boys, don't cry, 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 and I would pat him on the back, and I would just keep on walking until finally the sound of my voice had put him to sleep. And I did that night after night after night. I am far, far, far from a perfect father, but if I would do that for my son, how much more would our Heavenly Father, do for me and for you. That's what it means when he says he is a father, not just that he has compassion, but he is a father of compassion. He is a father who is filled with compassion toward his suffering, struggling children. And not only that, look at what the text says. It calls him the father of compassion, and I love this, the God of all comfort. This means he is there in all of our troubles. When I am sick, he is there. When I run out of money, he is there. When the marriage collapses, he is there. When the children run away, he is there. When friends betray us, he is there. When the doctor says, I'm sorry, it's cancer and there's nothing we can do, he is there. And when we face, when we face the moment of death, our God is there because he is the God of all comfort. And let me say to you, friends, this is what, I, what, what I'm talking to you about. This is always just a theory until we get in trouble. I like to tell people, you know, you learn your theology at noontime. You discover your theology at midnight. You learn what to believe when the sun is shining. You discover what you really believe in the darkness of the night. So I'm thinking about a couple that Marlene and I know, and friends of ours, um, one day, the, uh, th they came over to have dinner with us, and, and I knew a little bit of the story. I knew that he was struggling in a, in a battle with cancer. My friend uh, is a runner. He's an athlete, and I'm not a runner. I, I ride my bike, but I'm not a runner. I'd rather ride my bike 50 miles than run even one mile. I just don't like to do that at all. But it's one of these guys that runs many, many miles and keeps himself in good shape. And one day he was running and came home and got a little stitch in his side and didn't think anything of it and ran the next day and had a stitch in his side and didn't think anything of it. And three or four days, he just got the same pain in his side and mentioned it to his wife. Of course, you know what she said, you better go to the doctor. And so, well, he wasn't going to go, wasn't going to go. And then he went to see the doctor and the doctor said, I don't know, let me run some tests and came back. And, uh, the report from the, the, from the lab was not good. The scans had shown that he did not just had cancer, it's some, some kind of lymphoma. And it was basically high stage three or early stage four. And, um, 
they did what they always, and I'm just kind of passing along the story. He told me, told us around the dinner table, you know, they just backed up the chemo dump truck and pulled the lever because that's what they do, just dump that chemo in. And, and, you know, they almost kill you in order to try to save you because the cancer is a tough thing. And they gave him the heavy, heavy doses of chemotherapy, and it was really rough. But the day came. Finally, when he finished all the treatment and the doctor said, you know, you're cancer-free, you're in remission, don't miss a, tre- don't miss a checkup because, uh, because, you know, this kind of cancer sometimes does come back. But as far as we can tell, there's no more cancer in your body. He told the story around the dinner table, and I asked him, I said, friend, let, tell me something. What, uh, what have you learned or how have you grown or how has this cancer journey changed your life? He, he gave me an answer I didn't expect. He said, it's made me much more relaxed. I said, really, what do you mean? He said, you know, before I got cancer, I was uptight, type A, alpha, going all the time, you know, hard driving, get up, make the list, go to work, got to get things done, got to accomplish stuff, got to get the projects done. He said, the great thing about cancer, when it really hits you, it, 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 be, it helps you separate what matters from what doesn't matter. And he said, you know, you get cancer and you realize Somebody else could have my job. Somebody else could sit in my office and somebody else could drive my car and somebody else could wear my clothes and somebody else could, all this stuff I'm working so hard on, somebody else could do it. And he said, when I'm gone, eventually somebody else is going to do it. He said, I have learned to trust in God in a brand new way. Then he said this, you know, cancer is not easy. And I agree with that. God, somebody really close to me is battling cancer right now, and I pray for this loved one every single day. And I got so many friends who are struggling. Either they got the COVID or they're struggling with this cancer, and so many people I'm praying for. But my friend said, you know, cancer can be a blessing if it causes you to turn to the Lord. And so that's the first positive benefit of affliction. I think that's what Paul means. It's meant to draw us closer to God. There's a second one, second benefit of affliction. It's right here in the text. Not only does it draw us closer to God, it equips us to minister to others. Let me just read this. This is verse number six of 2 Corinthians chapter one. If we're distressed, Paul says, he's talking about his hard times. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. In other words, Paul says, I understand something now. What has happened to me is for your comfort. What has happened to me is for your deliverance. And he's really saying, if I am comforted, it is for your comfort. And you go back and you read that verse, uh, uh, verse 3 that we talked about earlier, Father of compassion, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, that when we have been relieved, we may be able to comfort others. Paul is saying, this is not just for me. What has happened to me has happened for the benefit of other people. So write it down, friends. Write it down. We never suffer alone. There's always someone watching. There's family members watching us. There are other Christians who are watching us. And you know what? Out there in the shadows, there are people who don't go to church, who don't read the Bible, who don't know the Lord. 
but they're watching us as we go through a, a sadness, a heartbreak, maybe the breakup of a marriage, maybe maybe dealing with a prodigal child, maybe the collapse of a financial empire or a business that's gone bad, maybe it's a sickness. They're watching, and they are drawing conclusions about God, positively or negatively, by the way we respond to what happens to us. I think we ought to understand our trials are meant to soften us. Oh, we need this in the church. It is so easy to be callous. It's so easy to be unkind. And sometimes even in the church, we just want to, we almost want to slap people around who are going through a hard time. Just get tough. Just just toughen up. Just, just buck up, soldier. God lets us, you and me, go through hard times to break us of that callous attitude. And he's doing it to prepare us to minister to others. So John Newton, the great English preacher, was thrown into prison, stayed there for years, and out came the great masterpiece, Pilgrim's Progress. So Chuck Colson, he went to prison, and out of that came the great ministry, Prison Fellowship. So Johnny Erickson Tata had that uh, awful diving accident that paralyzed her, and out of that came the ministry that has been such a blessing to, to people struggling with various disabilities around the world, the great ministry of Johnny and friends. So write it down, friends. The Lord's strongest weapons are forged on the anvil of adversity. And so many of us, I think, have hardened places in our lives that will not become tender until we go through the fires of affliction. And so it is that you have the great, you have these great, uh, these, these great helping ministries. I mean, there are people who've gone through addiction and haven't been set free. They understand what other people are going through. And so there are those who've struggled to, to why mom, some women who've struggled to, to, to get pregnant, and now they are able to help other women going through that. There are those who have struggled with uh, alcohol addiction. Now they are able to help others. I think what Paul is saying, what happens to us in one of the reasons, not the only one, friends, but one of the reasons is our hard times come, our difficulties come, our struggles come, so that when we have experienced the comfort of God, we'll be able to take that comfort. We are now equipped to go and encourage others. So, I think that's the real deep meaning of when hard times come, be a student, not a victim. Learn what God has for you to learn. He's equipping you. He's going to make you a missionary to other hurting people. Well, stay tuned, folks. Time for a break. Come back. in, And after the break, we've got two more reasons from this text. Help equip us to minister to others. We'll be right back. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. 
AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. How do we change a nation? One heart at a time. The Ministry of Preborn not only shares heartbeats, but shares hearts by loving women in crisis and leading them to Christ. When this mother came to a preborn center, she was scared and not sure she could afford another child. It was just a scary time for us, having my daughter, how that would impact our lives. When I came here, it was just so amazing to come to an environment where someone would actually pray for me and guide me through my battles that I was facing during that time. After receiving love, support, and the gospel of Christ, this mom chose life for her daughter. You can be a part of rescuing lives and changing hearts for Christ. For $140, sponsor five ultrasounds, and you'll receive a story and pictures of babies' lives that were spared. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com. Your gift is tax deductible. And welcome back. My name is Ray Pritchard, sitting in for Dan Celia today. This is not financial issues. Um, we're praying for Dan, struggling with that COVID pneumonia, and praying that God's going to raise him up and bring him back soon. Now, today, uh, we're talking, just you and me, we're just talking together about one of the great questions of life. Why is life so hard? Maybe there's no question bigger than that. When hard times come, we wonder, why me? Why now? Why this? And I think, honestly, in my experience, I think we tend to ask that question more when it's a loved one. We see a loved one struggling with something unexpected. Lord, why did you let this happen? And I told you at the very beginning of the hour, there are many different answers in the Bible, and they don't contradict. They're just many different perspectives on suffering and hard times. We're looking at one that, that we don't think about very often, but we ought to think about it more than we do. Tucked away in Second Corinthians chapter uh, 1, where Paul says that we are blessed and God comforts us in all of our affliction so that when we've been comforted, we'll be able to comfort others. And I, I gave you the principle, when hard times come, what? Be a student, not a victim. Say to the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? And from this wonderful passage, which is really Second Corinthians 1, verse 3, down through about verse 11, we find here four positive benefits of affliction. Number one, they draw us closer to God because we learn who God is. We learn that God is not just our Father, wonderful as that is, but He is the Father of compassion, and He is the God of all comfort. We learn, second, that God is using our afflictions to equip us to minister to others. Now, that may not be a comfort exactly. We won't always be able to understand this when we're going through the difficulties of life, but it's great to know that nothing to, nothing happens to us by chance or by fate, 
but that God is using these difficulties to equip us to minister to other people. Remember, we never suffer alone. And here's the third great purpose of affliction. They are sent to empty us of all self-reliance. Now I'm reading from 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. We, Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. Okay. Then he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. And here's the key phrase, so that we despaired even of life. Paul says, I want you to know, I, I'm not trying to hide anything from you. Uh, we've, not, we've not hidden our struggles. We've not, uh, we've not been afraid to tell you what we went through. Because, And he says, under great pressure. Um, and he says, whatever it was that happened to him, it was far beyond our ability to endure. And, and whatever it was, it pushed him to the end. And we tend to think of the Apostle Paul as some man of, of unlimited strength and unlimited ability. But the great Apostle Paul says, whatever it was that happened, whatever it was, it pushed me to the brink. I didn't think I was going to make it through. Verse 9, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Paul said, I, I, I thought I was going to die. I thought it was the end. But this happened. Now, here comes the explanation in verse 9, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, we don't know, and he doesn't say here exactly what was going on there in the province of Asia. I think it was a combination of things. Number one, we know from other things Paul wrote that he was he was a man uh, who did not have a strong physical constitution. I guess what I mean is he talks about the thorn in the flesh and he talks about the weakness. Uh, he alludes to something that happened to him when he wrote the, the, the epistle to the Galatians. He said, you know, uh, I, I was sick when I was among you and you, you saw how sick I was, but you didn't cast me out. Uh, if you could have, you would have taken your own eyeballs out and would have given them to me. Paul had some kind of terrible physical affliction that wore him down. I think he was extremely nearsighted. I think he was physically struggling during, and, and of course, this traveling in the first century and all the beatings and, and the terrible things he endured. I think physically it was a great struggle, and I think he was also facing enormous uh, we know the Judaizers followed him wherever he was. He's facing enormous opposition wherever he went. Look, whatever it was, the Corinthians knew all about it, even if we don't. And Paul says, all this stuff that happened to me was so that I would learn, so that we would learn that the answer is not in ourselves, but only in God who raises the dead. So many times we wonder why Hard things and bad things happen to us. Understand this. Hard times are a great teacher. I remember what, on the flip side, what Bill Gates said, founder of Microsoft. He said, success is a lousy teacher. It makes smart people think they can do no wrong. And the truth of the matter is we learn far more from sorrow than we do from joy. We learn far more in the darkness than we do in the light. We do learn far more from sorrow than we learn from pleasure. And, and Paul says here, 
I was pushed to the end. I thought my life was over, and I now understand God pushed me to the God pushed me to the very limits of human endurance so that I might learn to trust in the Lord uh, who can raise the dead. You see, I think a great many of us as Christians, uh, what we need is a bigger God. We need the God, the, we need the big God of the Bible. So many of us Christians, we've got a moderate-sized God. What that means is we've got a moderate-sized God who can handle the moderate problems of life. You know stinky diapers in the morning and, and, and a crabby husband or a or a crabby or a crabby or an impatient wife or a boss who just uh just just um put your teeth on edge i mean we've got a god who can help us handle you know we're a little bit short this week or we don't have quite the money we need or we're just tired and we need to lay down and take a nap i'm just saying i'm saying a lot of us have a moderate sized god who's okay, who's just fine for the moderate problems of life. But what are you going to do when suddenly the gears of life are stripped? If all you have is a God of the good times, friends, you don't have the God of the Bible. If all you have is a, a God who makes you happy, who answers all your prayers exactly the way you pray them so that you always have money in the bank and so that you never get sick and your kids never struggle and your church is always happy, and your prayers are always answered, and everything comes true exactly the way you wanted. If that's all you have is a God of the good times, what are you going to do when you get the midnight call and your son or daughter has been arrested on drug possession? What are you going to do when your husband says, I don't want to be married anymore? What are you going to do when the doctor says, I'm sorry? There's nothing else we can do. Uh, let me put it to you this way. All of us eventually are going to face Issues of life, they're going to force us to our knees where we're going to cry out, Oh, God, we're going to be like Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament. Oh, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So let me say it to you this way, friend. It's a good thing that you and I should be humbled. It's a good thing that we should be forced to our knees. It's a good thing to come to the end of all of our human resources. It's a good thing. Not a fun thing. Not an easy thing. I'm not saying that. But it's a good thing to come to the place where we say, oh, Lord, if you don't help us, we're sunk. Lord, if you don't come through, there's no hope or help now. This is a lesson I think we have to learn again and again. So I was watching uh, late-night Christian TV, and... uh, I kind of I had my remote control in my hand, and I was doing what men do late at night. I was going through all 150 channels every 90 seconds, you know, click, 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 and I was up in those high number channels, those late night religious programs. And there was a preacher on there, and I probably watched his message for about 10 seconds. He was he was waxing eloquent about something, but he turned and faced the camera, and he said one sentence, and it just I have never forgotten it. He looked right at the camera and he said, God will never bring you to the place where you no longer need him. Boom. Wow. What a statement. God will never bring you to the place where you no longer need him. Now, I think we all feel sometimes, Lord, I I have struggled long enough and I wish you'd bring me to the place where I don't have to pray such desperate prayers. My friend, 
desperate prayers, hard as they are to pray, they are good for the soul because they teach us to rely on God who raises the dead. So there's your third purpose of affliction, to empty us of all self-reliance. One more thing, and then we are done. God sends affliction to us to reveal to us the power of prayer, the power of united prayer. Verse 11, as you, Paul's talking to the Corinthians, as you help us by your prayers, then many are going to give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. This word here that's translated help as you help us, it's an unusual Greek word. It's used here and only here in the New Testament. In fact, it's it's a Greek word that's actually a combination. Paul kind of put them together. It's with plus under plus work. This word translated help is three Greek words underneath it. With plus under plus work. It's what happens when the Amish, you've seen pictures of the Amish barn raising when somebody's got to, they got to build a new barn, the Amish will come together and they'll come with their buggies and the men will come and the women will come and the kids will come and they'll make it an all day affair. And you've seen this, they'll, they'll hammer and they'll saw and then suddenly all the men will get under one side of the, one side of the, the wooden frame and they will all lift it up together. That's what Paul, that's what Paul's talking about. Paul says, as you, as you get underneath the problems of life and as you pray together, as you help us by your prayer. So often we Christians tend to look at prayer as the last resort. We go, oh, somebody says, now we got it. There's nothing left to do but prayer. Oh, my soul, has it come to that? We want to do something. We want to bake a cake. We want to bake a pie. We want to bake a casserole. Good, you ought to bake a cake and make it chocolate. You ought to make a pie and make it blueberry. You ought to make a casserole and make it some kind of thing with chicken and dumplings. Is that a casserole? Something like that, okay? We all want to do something. And I understand we, if, if somebody says, let's pray, we go, no, I want to do something. My friends, in times of trouble, we ought to pray more and not less. You know what Paul's telling us here? Paul is telling us something vital. Our prayers matter. Paul is saying, when I thought I was going to die, you prayed for me. When I thought I was going to give up, when I thought I couldn't go any further, when, when, when my head was down, when I was ready to quit, you prayed for me. Friends, one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to discover someone prayed for us. We don't understand that now. We would have fallen, but someone prayed for us. We would have given up, but someone prayed for us. We would have walked away from the Lord, but someone prayed for us. We would have said something foolish, but someone prayed for us. We were about to get in bed with somebody we should have gotten in bed with, but somebody prayed for us. We would have, we, we clenched our fist and we would have retaliated in anger, but somebody prayed for us. We would have crumbled under the pressure, but somebody prayed for us. My friends, someone is praying you home to heaven right now. We don't even know it. You don't even know it. When all is said and done, we're going to learn that God used the prayers of others to enable us to make the journey home from earth 
to heaven. And we're going to discover without those God-inspired prayers, we never would have made it. We ought to pray for others, and we ought to give thanks together when our prayers are answered. Here at the end, can I give you now the whole Christian life in six words? The whole Christian life. Everything I know about the Christian life in these six words. From God to us to others. From God to us to others. What comes down to us from God, God in his mercy, God in his grace, God in his kindness, God in his love, God in his purity, God in his holiness, God in all of his goodness, what comes down to us as a river, it just flows from God to us and out to others, to others in kindness, to others in compassion, to others in prayer, to others in love, to others in hope, from God to us to others. That's all the Christian life is. We take what God has given to us, and we freely give it away to others. You know, it's like taking a pebble, and you you throw it into a, a pond. What happens? The pebble sinks, but the ripples go out and out and out. Some believers never discover this truth. They're perpetual gripers when things get difficult. Life is never fair. They think they got the short end of the stick. People like that never have a ministry to others. They remain tough and hardened when they ought to be soft and tender. You want a personal ministry? Here's a place to begin. Share with others what God has given to you. There's somebody today who needs the help only you can give. There's somebody out there who needs a word of encouragement that only you can give. There's somebody staggering under a load and about to quit. God has equipped you. God has equipped you. God has helped us for a purpose that we might take what We have learned in the hard times of life and minister to others. Don't waste your pain. Use it to minister to others. That's the good word for today. Folks, thank you for tuning in. There's more good programming coming your way here on today's issues. And come back tomorrow. We're going to do this again together during this hour. God bless, folks. Have a great day. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.